Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Apollo 13 Minute, a show where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of probably the greatest space history movie ever made, the 1995 Ron Howard-directed feature Apollo 13. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm your other host. I'm Chris Henry of the EAA Aviation Museum. And here we are on the way to the on the way to the moon. Well, almost on the way to the moon. They're getting uh, they're getting ready for that. They're in they're in orbit. And, uh, We've took off at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, they're playing with their helmets and, and all kinds of floaty things. Um, one thing that we had talked about in the previous episode was that uh, we weren't sure about how many flights they did to actually do this job. This was, uh, by the count on the director's commentary, uh, they said they did uh, around 612 parabolic arcs. In, oh, my uh, gosh. Yeah. So <laughs> that's a lot of ups and downs. Uh, that was in NASA's uh, KC-135 airplane, the the vomit comet, and uh, each arc produced about 20 seconds of weightlessness. And uh, they, now they did 612 parabolic arcs in 13 days. So woof. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of falling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see the logbook on the uh, <laughs> on that, that KC-135. That must be interesting. Be just, yeah. I wonder if it's the KC-135 that's now on display at Ellington, if it's that it, same airframe. The actual KC-135 used was NASA, NASA serial number uh, N930 November Alpha, was decommissioned in 1995 after 20 years of service, and is placed on display in the year 2000 at Ellington Field. So it oh, is. That's the KC-135 at Ellington. I've seen that very airframe then. And people can people can visit it to this day right there. Yeah, it's what pretty a, cool. They have it displayed sort of in a... Kind of like a takeoff attitude. It's pretty. Oh neat. wow! Oh cool. Um, I remember there's a. Uh, I worked at a British aerospace uh, site in uh, Western England. Um, I want to say Am- Amesbury, but I'm not sure if it's the right one. But they that's where they made the uh, the electric lightnings, which were the high speed interceptors, and uh, oh, they yeah. were the they were the gate guards uh, at at this one site, and they're pointed at about a, I'd say about an 80 degree angle when you come in the when you come in the door. So they're pointed almost straight up, and it's very, very oh, impressive. That's you, cool. That was a cool airplane. To, yeah. Uh, um, two engines stacked on top of each other. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it looked like it looked like a big shotgun with wings. It just was <laughs> amazing-looking <laughs> uh, looking plane and just a, a real bullet. So uh, anyway, I've, now I've got to get down to Ellington and, and see this uh, KC-135. Um, but it did very noble service, 22 years going up and down. And, uh, and, wow, that's and, incredible. So this, you know, it's it's kind of strange when you think about the weightlessness that the actors are experiencing here, is in the same box that the uh, the real Apollo thirteen astronauts would practice their uh, procedures in. So it's just all full circle kind of stuff. That's really cool. Yeah. That's you know quite a testament to making the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. And we were back to that uh, the thing I was saying about the other day that the uh, yeah, that that big dark contrail in the sky. It uh, this. Yeah, you know, although it looks kind of dark, cloudy, and I know it was uh, RP one, um, but I do not recall. I do not recall the contrail. I mean, I was a little kid at the time, but I do not recall the contrails of Apollo looking that dark. It was more of a, um, you know, white cloudy color. 
but I I may be misremembering it. I was I was a little kid at the time. And I just remember it being kind of billowy clouds, not as billowy as the uh, as the shuttle, but uh, that was quite a quite a thing. <laughs> Reminds mm-hmm. me of like after fireworks went off, you know, and you've got that sort of smoke left afterwards. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we have all those different people coming out from central casting, <laughs> wandering down from the stands for their uh, two minutes of fame, and as as with every. Uh, large crowd for some reason they they dot the whole place with lots of uh what look like cloistered nuns walking through but it's like you know here's a here's a character and here's another character and uh, <laughs> a lot of uh, army and navy types walking around wow the that, uh, uh, basically everybody... that's pretty cool i have to wonder like if uh you know if they snuck in any like family members or things like that into there yeah i guess those i mean some of those people have got to be friends of the crew maybe you know the ron howard family in the background somewhere and uh I'm still kind of uh, that bus always bothers me that it's not the <laughs> it's not the right logo you know it's just one of those well, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way when you're watching World War II movies yeah. you go, that's not yeah. the Ninth Army the Ninth yeah. Air Force I mean, <laughs> yeah. watch uh, you know one of the famous scenes in uh, the War Lover is they're they're buzzing the uh, airfield with a B-17 and they've got 1950s ambulances sitting there and I'm like yeah oh, that's not right <laughs> <laughs> knock it off yeah yeah. <laughs> So uh, apparently, uh, apparently they have uh, the <laughs> they they seem to have gotten the classic Clark car club that had uh, uh, rag tops today because there's just an awful lot of uh, <laughs> convertibles out there in the field, which I, I guess is okay for Florida. Um, yeah, I guess that would make sense. You'd have a lot of that there. Yeah, um, and uh, just I guess there's a lot of military people simply because they could get. Uh, passes to get to get on on base and what looks like i i guess they're supposed to be reporters or um there's people with pencils and pens either that are giving out autographs i'm, I'm not sure yeah um, yeah and then of course you have the people that are come running up here in a few minutes of, yeah that's you know, that's reminds true. Me yeah. of, they remind me of airplane well, i have to get some pictures <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> here you go boys or um in uh the way they did this in the right stuff, I always liked it. It sounded like locusts. They always played like cricket noises and things. Yeah, like. that was always strange. I think it's supposed to be their cameras ticking yeah. and stuff. But yeah, but yeah, it had always... like they were coming down like a plague somehow. Yeah. <laughs> it it looks I mean it's just it, it looks really good. And and it does highlight the thing that they uh happy, pleased and thrilled that they're you know, this is what they're supposed to say. They know how they're supposed to react and that was that was their job. They were, you know, the job of an astronaut's wife was to uh, just show no fear and just be concerned, but um, be happy, happy for your husband, no matter, no matter what. I mean, just the, the stress of all this thing. And well, and I <laughs> think, really... well, I think they all had training as well, didn't they? Like, I thought that the wives all went to training on how to, you know, deal, sort of be in front of the media. I'm, I'm pretty sure they did. did I they? think that, yeah, I think the press office kind of prepped them on that. And also uh, uh, Time Life uh, also knew what they wanted and ex- you know, expected of their families. Yeah. yeah. So We I talk mean, about having, you know, heavy demands, like your your significant other is flying a, you know, a pretty dangerous mission to the moon. And, uh, or, you know, it's certainly not, uh, there's a lot safer things you could be doing than running a rocket to the moon. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, and they're worried about like you know how you're gonna you know uh, have a table setting on your table at your kitchen in your house or something like that. You know, yeah, yeah. Strange. And, yeah, I mean, when when you say to, if you wanted their opinions and you ask you know how do you feel, it's like, well, I just watched my husband sit on top of uh, 
seven and a half million pounds of thrust and it didn't explode so i'm happy so far yeah, yeah. It, it just the uh the amount of uh of agony that they must be going through i, I can't imagine i don't think there's enough maylocks in the world to conquer that kind of stuff um that it's, I, uh, you know i have a question this is gonna sound really stupid but i'm gonna ask it uh, is i wonder if while the husbands were flying their mission if NASA or Time Life or somebody had somebody come and take care of the yard. Oh, because, like, you know, like dress it up? Yeah, well, you know, back in the day, that would be considered, you know, outside guys' work. And, you know, did they have help cutting the grass and stuff like that while their husband was out of town? I, you know. I, I, think, I think it was just more like the neighbors would help out. But I mean, Maybe, if, yeah. You if you look. You took I, your turn. I remember looking at, um, I may even have the issue, but there's a. They were following the uh, the Apollo 11 astronauts, and um, I remember seeing a picture of Mike Collins's backyard, and it was basically just one giant mud puddle. And they had <laughs> he had put in a uh, you know a swing set or something, but the, the yard was just an absolute like you know you could tell Dad's been out of town for a while, and they really don't <laughs> they really can't afford a gardener or something. But it was uh, interesting. Just, uh, gosh, if I can find it, I'll post it on the site or I'll put it out on Facebook. I don't know what maybe that popped in my head, I guess, but just, you know, traditional roles back then in the early 60s and well, late 60s, early 70s was, were still in place a lot. And, you know, I just wondering. I'm like, I wonder if they had helped, you know, if they helped each other with meals and, yeah, and I mean, uh, you know, cutting the grass and taking care of cars. You know, just routine uh, stuff that maybe couldn't wait a week, you know. Or I have just, long. I have just found, I found the picture and I will, I will definitely scan this and put it up on Facebook. Um, but, uh, gosh, it just, there, <laughs> the, uh, I mean, there's one portion of the yard that is mowed, but where the kids are playing, there's loose, uh, you know, God bless a sixties family, but it's this kind of, it's this kind of all metal, um, you know, all metal swing set with a, it, it's got like a swing, you know, a, a swing and then a sit down swing and just places where you can stick your fingers and get them chopped off by the chain. And, uh, <laughs> There's loose bricks laying on the ground and some landscaping timbers, and uh, it looks like uh, the Collins family has a rather large uh, German shepherd kind of wandering around loose. You can tell that the last thing Pat Collins wants is anybody marching through her house and taking pictures. But they just seem, of all these pictures, it looks like the most they look like the most normal people. Of uh, the Collins family, just looks like, yeah, it's not going to be the cleanest place in the world, but you know, at least uh, the kids, <laughs> the kids are wearing clean clothes, and that's about it. So yeah, um, kids are going to be kids too. They're gonna... I mean, I I would hate having anybody coming into my house and start taking pictures. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it and there's there's earlier pictures back in the day with the Mercury astronauts, and I can remember seeing one where they had taken the first three uh, families, you know, the Shepherds, the Grissoms, and the Glens. And they put them all having a barbecue. And I can't picture Annie, Annie Glenn and Betty Grissom together. I just, I don't, I can't imagine them socializing. <laughs> but, you know, they put them all in these pictures like, look, aren't we having a great time? And it's one big happy family. And it's like, eh, that's not, but this, I think by the, by the late 60s, they finally figured out these are regular people. And they, you know, we can show them being regular people. I still don't believe the ones with, uh. You know where they have Neil dressed up, where you know cooking pizza and stuff, and he's wearing a chef's hat and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Neil Armstrong does not hit me as the type that dresses <laughs> up like that. I think that was out of the prop closet at Life Magazine. But uh, I you think know. so. One of my favorite uh, pictures is it's a crew of Apollo One uh, training in a swimming pool, and um, it looks like they're training for recovery or something like that. But 
It always just cracked me up because they're just they're, they look like they're just chilling in the pool, but they're wearing like all their space gear, and there's like a yeah. mock-up <laughs> Apollo One capsule sitting there, and you know, but it, it looks like a, just a day at the swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, and I keep every time I see those things. I mean, Life Magazine was really important to the uh, to the space program because it helped sell it to congressional districts. So they they had to act all these things out and feel like you know, isn't it nice? These wonderful families are uh, are doing stuff. But uh, you know that was their job. It was to to sell a program to the to the public, and uh, like it or not, the women and children were uh, enlisted in doing that as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean that was, uh, um, you know, they were they were hoisted to be celebrities. I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they want those perks like the like the Corvettes, they had to they had to come through and uh, deliver the goods. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's, that had to be hard though. It didn't make it any oh, yeah. easier. Yeah. So then we get uh, we jump from the you know happy pleased and thrilled in the parking lot to watching uh, that S four B do its do its job and uh, throw them at the moon with a TLI there the translunar injection uh, heading at uh, I was trying to figure this out and I think if if memory serves uh, uh, this was April the eleventh April the twelfth um, of nineteen seventy and it looks like it was a first quarter I mean they were trying to wait for the half moon to arrive to get uh, the right lighting so that when they're coming up on Fra Moro, they had uh, the morning sun coming up and everything kind of heightened the height, you know, the shadows of the craters and stuff. So that, that kind of looks relatively accurate. That's awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to as we go down the road into this uh, uh, learning more. I've actually, I got to tell you, I have learned a ton by just doing this with you here. It, uh, it's been educational both on the film and on the space flight uh, part of it. So uh, to me, it's just like uh, one big history lesson here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm just I'm just looking at it right now, April 12th, uh, which, you know, it's April 11th, April 12th. I'm not exactly sure when TLI went on a mission elapsed time, but I'm assuming pretty close. I'm uh, just looking at what the phase was. It was a first quarter, 39 percent of the moon being illuminated about six and a third days old and that really does look like the right moon phase for that so impressive in its accuracy and you know not yeah. that i would expect any less yeah absolutely <laughs> uh, um so we watch and it, just that little bit of dynamism as it spins off to the you know the the whole picture kind of spins gives you a, a feeling like you're watching you're watching as you're falling behind from it we get back to the mission control and they're checking on uh, the flight dynamics for uh, for their tli he doesn't get to the part yet where he says that, you know, you've you've successfully inserted yourself in lunar orbit, but uh, that's that's pretty much where he's at. And those famous uh, Plantronics headsets, which I guess you, you <laughs> use that in ATC, too, we as well, right? still use them. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The ATC and in uh, air ambulance dispatching. So. Wow. Yep, yeah, same, those. Same ones. <laughs> those Plantronics, I mean, it's that, that came to kind of symbolize, I mean, Gotcha! It was the best advertisement ever for Plantronics because everybody who watched the moon landing is like, "Look at those cool headsets they're wearing. They're not wearing like you know the old uh, David Clark ones. They're yeah. just these oh, cool yeah. little I, pipes in the ear." I still remember that you know the day you become a controller and they give you your box and you open it up and it's your headset in there. That, uh, that's a that's a cool day. You know, it's uh, like wow, these are mine. And uh, you can't you feel like you know you're working local traffic at an airport, but you feel like. You know, that yeah, that first uh, time up there, like, oh man, I'm we're going to the moon with these. Yeah, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, and it's funny. It, I mean, it's like you think of them as late '60s, but actually, they were um, where they came about. Those Plantronics uh, headsets in, in 1961. United Airlines started looking for 
new designs because they they needed to have something that you could wear on your head for you know transcontinental jet flights and those the big david clarks just weren't cutting it you didn't want to have people wearing you know throat mics and things like that it didn't have to look like 12 o'clock high you know <laughs> that kind of stuff so there was a there was a fellow named Courtney Graham. He was a United Airlines pilot, and he thought that they could find something lighter. He was kind of spearheading it for, on behalf of the Amer- on the uh, United pilots, and uh, he had a friend named Keith Larkin. Keith Larkin, he told him what kind of a design he wanted. He said, I just want the smallest thing you could stick to stick on your head, and it needed to be robust enough that you could you know, plug it in and drop it on the floor and it wouldn't break. That was the biggest problem. I mean, the, the great thing about David Clark is you can slam him up against the bulkhead and, it won't, you know, nothing will happen. He came up with these things that Graham and Larkin, uh, you know, Graham wound up getting out of United and uh, he incorporated uh, in, with Larkin, he, he created Pacific Plantronics in 1961. They introduced the first lightweight communications headset uh, to the commercial marketplace in 1962. And then uh, the FAA selected them in uh, around 65 as the sole supplier of headsets for air traffic controllers. And thereafter, uh, it was selected to supply headsets for a Bell Telephone. So the, the, between having the Bell contract and the FAA contract, they had it made. Uh, once they came out with these things, Courtney Graham, the, the United pilot, was also working with Wally Schirra and Gordon Cooper over at NASA to come up with one that they could use in space and one that they could use on earth they're slightly different the the ones they use in space had dual transducers so they had a backup in case one of them broke in the ear really you know clever use it only took them about two weeks to come up with it and but they they actually came up with a model that would work with wally shiraz flight so he flew it on a sigma seven and uh, uh took it up and uh it, it worked so the headsets were used in pairs they were on either side of his mouth so if one if one broke the other one could switch up to the background that continued on with uh uh, with the Mercury program, and then you know they're even used on they're used on the shuttle nowadays. I mean, the different versions, uh, later generations of the same thing, are still being used there. You know, and the, the biggest the, <laughs> the biggest marketing coup for them the the words uh, you know the first words spoken on the moon, one small step for man, were spoken on a Plantronics headset. <laughs> so uh, just uh, an That's amazing a good marketing uh, ploy there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, when it absolutely it positively higher. has to work, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Air traffic controllers, like like you and many still other people, use them. yeah, yep. still use them today. Yeah, and they are pretty comfortable. They're uh... they are. I mean, you could wear them. I mean, you know, ATC, I wore them for eight hours at a time. Uh, if you they, they let you know when your hair gets too long because they'll pinch your hair. Ah. Uh, and you're like, all right, time for a buzz cut. You know? <laughs> yeah, when you but, uh, yeah when you're taking them off and they they take part of your scalp with <laughs> yeah, you. It's exactly. like, oh wait a minute. Yeah, all right, time to go to the barber. But uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we use them in a lot of different, you know, airlines uh, all over the place. Well, Chris, as you know, we're having. A, speaking of communications, <laughs> <laughs> we need some of those plantronics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're ha- we're having a little bit of communications problem on our on our particular session today. So uh, let's just <laughs> let's just pull it to a close and let everybody go home. But uh, we'll talk about some more stuff going on uh, tomorrow. Some exciting exciting action when uh, we, uh, Jack Schweiger's gonna get the the lem out of the garage. So we'll see how we'll start talking about that tomorrow and. Uh, Let's uh, let's pick it up then. Uh, looks like we're gonna lose. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna go out of uh, audio communication in about thirty seconds anyway. So we'll see you here next time. Thanks for joining us on the Apollo Thirteen Minute. <laughs>